And at that point, the pain of staying small became greater than the pain of stepping out and setting myself free. Can we agree that leadership isn't based on title or position? I have created this podcast to talk to everyday people who lead in extraordinary ways in their everyday lives, both professionally and personally, in the hope that it will inspire everyday people like you and me to realize we are everyday leaders. Welcome to Everyday Leadership. Alana Hunt said, it's only when you take responsibility for your life that you can discover how powerful you truly are. And on today's episode of Everyday Leadership, my guest Ruth Penfold really embodies what it means to take responsibility for your life. We talk about joy, we talk about jealousy, we talk about comparison, we talk about embracing your pain and actually sitting in it and what that means and how that can help you grow. Why she ran away from coaching, what it means to create a truly inclusive environment and ultimately take responsibility for your life. It's another value-packed episode and I know you're going to enjoy this one. Welcome to Everyday Leadership. I have the pleasure of talking to the one and only Ruth Penfold this morning. How are you doing, Ruth? I am actually doing great, but that's because this is my time of day because you've been kind enough to speak to me in the early morning. So I'm like super on fire. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is my time of day too. This is, this is yeah. perfect. This is when the, Good morning, the people. people get up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've been super excited to, to talk to you. If anyone doesn't know, um, Ruth is an enigma in a lot of ways. She works in HR, but she is the complete opposite of what you call a HR person. She's yoga teacher. Um, it's about love, leadership, and just about complete authenticity that comes through in every conversation in her writing. I was like, you know what? We need to get Ruth on. We need to have a conversation and just delve into who she is, how she's got to where she's got to, to have that freedom. And I guess the best place I can think of starting is joy. You talk a lot about joy. How do you get so much joy in your personal life and in your work? Oh, so my path to joy. So let me start with a definition because I think that may help the listeners. So my definition of joy is not giddy. It's not silly. It's not effervescent, although I am all of those things. Joy for me is really about the very, very deep wisdom that lies within us that we're born with. And joy for me kicks in when we live in alignment with that very, very deep wisdom that lies within us. So every decision, and we all think that we have so much to learn, but actually what we really need to do is unlearn and actually get back to the wisdom that lies within, which will always guide us well. Because I know when I've made a decision that doesn't serve me, I feel sick. (laughs) And I feel sick because that deep wisdom is going, okay, whatever you say, Penfold, we'll go this path right now. And so, so I guess my path to joy has been really, really long 
Um, and, and I'm 40 now, I'm 40 as of March, but my, I, I burst into the world full of joy. I was a very joyful child um, and I knew who I was. I walked in align, alignment with myself. And then somehow along the way, when I started to observe the world around me and the adults within it, I lost my way on that. And I started to measure myself in the eyes of other people. And therefore, I clipped my behavior and I clipped myself. And I made a, quite a few deadly firm beliefs about myself at that age that I wasn't lovable, that I wasn't worthy, that I wasn't all of these things. And then I set about a huge rebellion in my teenage years that basically proved those things to myself again and again and again over. I then chose a relationship that didn't serve me, uh, that I was in for 12 years, which was actually, when I look back on it, another form of rebellion, because it was like, you know, okay, now I've done the wild rebellion. Now let me do this other kind of rebellion. And because you all don't think it's going to work, I'm going to make this work. And I put all of my energy into this draining, codependent approach to relationship. And it, um, and I was in that relationship for 12 years. And so at that time, I was kind of asleep in my life as almost, almost as if on pause. And, you know, I lived vicariously through other people's lives in the television and things like that. I, I'd watch every single show that there was because I, my own life was so desperate and dark and, and unhappy and without joy. Um, so that those, I guess, my teens and my 20s, what I've just described there is really 20 years of not answering that deep wisdom within myself. So I would say that whilst in my teenage years, I might have looked like I was, you know, going to a, a, a rave in the middle of the field outside of Bristol. And yeah, that's having fun, right? I would say that they were joyless. It was joyless, right? I would have looked happy but I was not living in a joyful way. So I guess my path to joy really began when I was, when I was 27, I met my now best friend, Emily, and she shone a light into the world that I'd created. And she was strong enough to sort of penetrate in and, and relentless enough to not let me push her away. Now I was still with my ex-husband then, and I was actually just about to marry him and she was one of the people that actually said to me, hang on a minute, really? You're, you, this is what you want for your life? Because she could see that I, she could see a glimmer of magic in me, but it was just a glimmer then. I looked very different then and I, and I presented very differently then. My eyes looked dead in those days, but she still saw some magic in me, right? And I would say that, she was the uh, the she lit the fuse that then started to burn for the next three years. And in that time, I did things like, um, you know, I managed to leave the job that I was in that wasn't serving me then either um, with a boss that wasn't serving me. And, and I was I was in another codependent relationship with an abusive boss as, as boss as much as I was at home, because the thing is, is we are just one being right. We don't give up whatever we're living. We're living it really three, 360, right? If you're aligning to an energy, you're aligning to an energy. Um, but in the next three years, I lost, I lost about three and a half stone doing Weight Watchers. And, and my, my relationship with myself 
started to shift and I started to be inspired by people that I met. And, you know, and I was working in a company called Bullet and there were men in that company that that really cared about what their wives thought and did thoughtful things. And this is going to sound crazy, right? Like going and going and choosing what their wife might want to have for dinner. And I watched these things and I was like, okay, that that's not what I have. Um, so I think on some, this was kind of my awakening and this is kind of what I'm getting to, right? Um, and it culminated in me at the age of 30, the voice within started to scream at me because my body was aching from holding myself small. And at that point, the pain of staying small became greater than the pain of stepping out and setting myself free. So with the help of a coach, it wasn't, you know, like, um, and this is another thing, the coach that that was a magic, you know, like somebody that I worked with, he recommended this coach to me. I couldn't afford to see her. He paid for me to see her. You know, like there's it's it's there's magic at play that set me free. You know, it was like a series of very fortunate events. I'm very blessed to be sitting where I am today. And so at the age of 30, I set myself free. I set myself free and I started to rebuild myself from the inside out. And that took a lot of work because the the set the set, setting yourself free moment is just the beginning, right? Um, and and then I had to look at what makes this powerful, intelligent, beautiful being choose what she chose, right? And I say that with no ego because we are all those beings. We are born as those beings, but we forget along the way that we're these things and we allow ourselves to become small. So... I did all kinds of things, you know, like coaching. I had a bit of talking therapy. Um, I did a lot of healing work. But the most significant work that I've done has been that of kind of connecting to myself and my stillness. I think it's important to learn who you are and why you are and what your triggers are and understand what makes your being move in the way that it moves. But for me, really, it was kind of, um, you know, developing that connection to myself which I needed someone to show me how to get there first. And I did that with the help of someone who's become a dear friend, Sarah Williams, who I still have sessions with to this day. And um, she did a we did a blend of kind of coaching work and healing work that got me still. And then I went to group meditation sessions and I learned how to meditate. And now I meditate every day. But again, that was like taming a wild animal to get me there. So I've been, I, I'm, I'm on a path, right? It's not a fixed state. But I would say that, um, you know, I, I have created a world that for myself feels joyful. I, I walk in alignment with my soul, not at every moment. We're not perfect. But when we but now I can feel when I've stepped away, I feel when I've stepped away. And what I've managed to develop in myself is that is almost like a kind of allergic reaction to stepping away. Um, and what that's meant, though, it's like you sort through your whole world holistically. So, you know, I, I think, I mean, eight years ago, I stopped drinking alcohol and that just felt natural to me for, to let that fall away. And then gradually I've looked at what I eat, um, what I consume, you know, even if I'd, I mean, I didn't haven't had a television for the last 10 years. So I've been in control of my consumption in that 
respect. But even down to like, what's the energy behind the music that you're listening to? And, you know, like, when are you listening to music? And are you listening to music to check out of the world around you? So, I mean, this continuous audit is basically how I live with that, which I think some people might find a bit exhausting. But for me, my motivation is to try to create the very best life experience that I can for myself each and every day and to give myself the love and support and commitment um, first so that uh, teaching and learning how to love me then enables me to understand what love really is so that then I, I set the bar for how I, how I want to be loved by others. That Does is, that make sense? That makes perfect sense. And I'm completely aligned to that because it's you decide the level of respect and the values that you have and then other people around you, then either they align to that or they don't. But you need to decide that for yourself, not other people deciding that for you. And just what you describe right now is you going through that self-work and that self-journey to get there, which took a while but you you got there which is which is absolutely brilliant and that's you see that joy coming through you so even though you say the man sound exhausting i guess the flip side of that is you're happy <laughs> you're, full of, oh, you're full of you're full of joy you know who you are so it's worth it well and the alternative is so much more exhausting you know i think i think this is what happens when we're holding ourselves small um we look at you know we look at we look at people who we're inspired by now sometimes that inspiration might feel like jealousy and jealousy by the way is something like it's it's essentially self fury you're cross with yourself because you're not doing something and that manifests as you reflecting that onto somebody else right and um, because you know it's frustrating because you know where you should be and you know what you should be doing and when you're not doing it you can feel this conflict within yourself but yeah, I mean, it's it's really learning that the pain of staying small, any pain that you experience to overcome your own challenges, like I've never looked back, you know, I, I, I've never looked back. It's been the best, these have been, it's been the best decade of my life so far. Um, and yeah, uh, but I think, I think for many, because what we're taught as little people, what, and not necessarily taught like somebody stands there and tells you this, but what you learn as a child is, I need to stay safe because pain is bad. So now let me construct a world around me that means that I stay safe. And, and this is really the, the, the mess of hu the human condition that means that we, we end up in the society that we're living in where we're not living and loving each other in the right way at all. That is so true. That is so true. I think that one thing that even this pandemic has revealed is when we look out for one another and when we lean into that, what I'll call the authenticity of who we are as people, we saw a lot of the good side of people come out, the clapping for the NHS, the staying home to protect other people. That was the inner side of other people. Like, you know what, this is not about me. It's about other people. And that was a beautiful side of things. And one thing that you have just um, touched on in what you talked about as well is when you don't when you don't stay safe and you look at actually how can you to improve, that's how you grow and that's how you develop and that's how you become who you need to be. And um, how do you then develop what I will call the 
the self-awareness that you that you have. Because, like you said, you went through that journey, you went through different iterations from teenagers to when you were 27 and you spoke to your friend. But how do you then get to the point where you don't compare yourself anymore to other people? You're not looking at what other people are saying or what other people are doing. You're just completely living your own life. Because I can, based on what you just said right now, it can't have been that easy to have a complete shift away from the life you live where you are right now. Yeah, so what I would say is I, I think... I mean, there are human beings that are that are above comparison of themselves to other people, but I think that we're so we're so conditioned in that way, and it's also part of kind of the human drive, right? Um, that I can't say that I've managed to completely live, you know. But but I look for those. So so I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, um, you know, life isn't about perfection either, right? For me, it's it's more about learning all sides of ourselves and starting to use those things that we perceive as more negative as markers of truth, right? So 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 starting to listen to those things and to see those clues and to read your own body map, right? So, oh, I'm feeling this. Why am I feeling that? What's underneath it? Is it this? No, it's that. Okay, great. And almost becoming your own psychologist so that you start to understand who you are. The only way, though, that you do that is by knowing who you are. And for me, people are different, but for me, that comes from being still with myself being quiet enough to be able to listen to myself and not run away and not run away from my pain. Right. Because ultimately when we're, we live in a society that's built on distraction and we distract ourselves with everything. And if you remove one distraction, you add another one in, you know, the the distractions like, okay, you're like, okay, right. I don't do that anymore. And then suddenly this thing creeps up screen time, right? Phones looking at something, uh, you know, whatever it is, we are literally hell bent on distraction. And it's because we're avoiding pain. That's what drives that thing. And when we're, when we're distracted from something by thinking about somebody else or looking at something else, we're, we're not with ourselves in that moment. And actually, you know, one of the biggest things that lockdown did for me was it made me, and this is, I say this as someone who, who's meditated for years who can genuinely say I'm in love with myself in an abundant way. And, uh, you know, I say all of these things, but, you know, we're all guilty of running away from our pain. And when lockdown came in as someone that lives alone and, and you know, and I'm not dating anybody, you know, as somebody who is on their own, what I really had to learn was this... Um, the ability to self-soothe, right? And the ability to be my own partner in a much more profound way. And I forced myself not to escape my pain. Uh, there's a woman called Glennon Doyle who someone compared me to re- me recently, who co- compared me to recently. They were like, you remind me of her. I was like, okay, so who is this chick, right? And so I I read a couple of her books and she describes it as a hot loneliness. And I think that is such a good description, right? And really, so it's learning to sit with your hot loneliness. And you can be single, you can be in a relationship. We've all got hot loneliness. We've all got the thing that we're trying to outrun. And it's, 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 
it's stopping running. It's being with it. It's letting that be what it is. And, you know, as somebody who, you know, I'm very resilient. I, I'm very good at having experienced a degree of trauma in my life. I'm very good at, um, you know, self uh, I get I, bouncing back, right? Um, making sure that I'm, you know, I, I have developed my toolkit. Uh, you know, I'm good. I know who I am. But I, I think that I've taken it to a whole new level in these last few months where it really is. And I think, I think the way that I've been talking about it lately is it's, it's actually removing expectations. I'm actually about to write a blog about this because I think it's really significant. Um, our expectations of the human beings in the world around us are kind of deadly you know, particularly those that we give a role to, right? Now, I actually, I actually excused my parents of their roles with me through. It's one of the most beautiful things that came out of my divorce, right? Because they became part, part at, at that time. They were part of my. I call them my my chamber of war because when you're coming out of a psychologically abusive relationship it's really hard to untangle yourself and you actually need people who will just help think for you because you're reacting still to the control of the ex partner or whatever. And they keep coming, right? They keep coming. And so my parents and I kind of shifted it in our relationship then. And I'd obviously kept them at a distance because I was experiencing this stuff. Right. Um, but our relationship truly evolved because because they just sort of stepped into gear and sort of were able to think for me when I need it. And between them and Emily, who I mentioned before, who also did that, um, you know, at that time, what's what that's meant is that my parents and I, we've developed a friendship, a friendship of equals, a friendship where we just come together and hang out with each other because we like each other. So I've excused them of you're my dad and you should have done this and you should do this. And you're my mum, and you should do this and you should have done that. And I've just let them be John and Trisha. And we were speaking about this recently. And that's so powerful because our relationship now, I have no expectations of them doing stuff for me now. I don't need, you know, I don't need that. I just, I love them. Sold as seen with all of their imperfections. I take them as they are. And that's what, right now so so I'm almost at a point where I'm like okay so actually my expectations of others damage me not them and actually it's about me and what I expect from this person should be doing this and this person who should be doing that but what if we could just see each other as humans and what if we could just go okay you came to me in this world in this role but now who are you really Below all of the, you know, be, below the job title, below the sign that's above the door, who are you really? And how can we develop a mutually supportive, um, evolving, powerful relationship dynamic moving forward where we both grow? So based on that, I want to ask you, how do you define leadership? Because you just talked about the titles and belong. So how do you define what leadership is? Oh, okay. So, I mean, leadership is an energy for me. It's not necessarily always about what role you have. So if anybody's listening to this and you're more junior in your, junior in your career, junior, I hate that word, earlier on in your career, let's, let's reframe. Okay. So um, 
and you're earlier on in your career, so you're not leading people, you can lead the energy of a situation. You can lead um, innovation. You can, you know, so so I would say that the, the earlier on that you can step into leadership energy, that doesn't mean that you're being bossy. It doesn't mean that you're, it, that you're doing anything else. But if you connect into who you are and your wisdom and your truth and your power, then you will feel the value of you in a real way. And then you'll feel like the things that you don't say in a meeting that you're right now could be saying, cause you know, your truth, you already know your stuff. Maybe then you start to step into that. And when you step into that energy, people start to see you as a leader and they start to hear your voice rising. And then they go, Hmm, this is a formidable human being. Why is that person not running a department over here, right? So I'm speaking about it in the terms of when you're stepping into leading others, maybe. But if you're already there, if you're already there, then, and you're already leading others, are you really, how are you, my question then to you is, how are you showing up for those people? Because I don't think really, until we've done this, this dance within ourselves. And this is what I, this is what I, you know, really truly believe in for the evolution of our societies is that if the people who are leading can really do that deep work of knowledge of self, who I am, what my triggers are, what my biases are, right. And develop the relationship that they're having with themselves so that they start to show up for themselves in quality. Only when you're showing up for yourself in quality can you ever show up for others in quality. And then you then you can start to build these kinds of very real relationships that I'm talking with, with everybody in your world. So that you're then really setting a bar because the quality that you show up in makes people go, ah, I'm going to rise to meet that quality, whether you whether you know it, whether it's conscious or not, right? Um, and then knowing who you are means that when you get things wrong, because we all get things wrong, you can then show up and say in an authentic way, I got that wrong and I'm sorry and I mean that. How do we rebuild something between us? Because I've messed up here. And, that, and that's where that's where you really are going to create a platform to people for people to get to come to work and show up as themselves and bring their best and bring their innovation. And you as a leader will then provide the inspiration for others to show up in their leadership energy because they'll feel safe to do so. But it starts with you. All of this stuff starts with you. And if I think when people are looking outside themselves, oh, okay, I'm going to just read this book. You read the book, but then read this book too. Um, and then read that book too. And listen to this as well. And so, I mean, I think I think it has to be multidimensional. And I think that people have been quite one-dimensional in their approach to, you know, and I remember myself in my 20s, I was like, this is my work penfold. This is my home penfold. Um and both of them were miserable. So, you know, the, the the incredible journey that I've gone through in my 30s, which rather rather beautifully is etched all over the internet because I love a good photo. <laughs> so my, you know, you can look at you can look back at like, it's a bit like the evolution of man. If you look at the sort of caveman, 
journey. It's a bit like my 30s, but that's okay. I'm happy. I'm happy with that. But what you've seen is uh, me coming together as my whole being and starting to show up as my whole being. And that's the thing that, that really now I'm so excited to support in other people. But what do you think? Do you do you see the same? Do you see something similar when you when you look at the the concept of leadership and how we are defining it currently? So for me, leadership starts with yourself. So as as a coach, when I work with clients, regardless of what the company might think the original problem is, I would start with who are you? Because you need to be able to have a firm foundation of who you are to be able to build. And then you can start looking externally with other people, start looking at how you impact your organization. But for you to do that, for you to lead and bring people alongside you in that vision, you need to come from a place of authenticity. And therefore, you need to do that self-work. I need to understand my strengths, my weaknesses. I need to connect the dots. I need to understand why I view life a certain way. I need to understand why I need to talk to people in different ways i can't just treat everyone the same way all those kind of things come from sitting with yourself so every single client i sit down with is like hey let's let's do that self-work and sometimes it's like why i know who i am it's like let's delve into a little bit let's explore a little bit because we all have blind spots there's a lot of stuff that we do not know we do not think about ourselves so my role as a coach is to shine that light on your blind spots and then to help you to grow and to develop as a person as an individual as self and then you can start looking at other people and start working out ways where you can improve and how you communicate, how you love, how you show up for other people. Mm, yeah, and it is so important because I think, you know, I know when I first embarked on my coaching journey, um, you know, I went along and what I'd actually said to my boss at the time was, I think I'm having, I was just turning 30. I was like, I think I'm having some sort of crisis because I was working as a recruitment consultant and I didn't really enjoy it. And and I was like, oh, I just don't know. I, you know, ah. And he was like, you should see my coach, um, you know. And at that point, that was where, and one, and one of the first questions she asked me was, when did you last experience joy? And... I was like, I I am joyful. What are you talking about? And she was like, I didn't mean happy. Happy is a different thing. When did you last experience joy? And I think that um, that is, that's been, that was the moment really. And then she started to ask me about how happy I was at home. And I ran away. I actually ran away from coaching when I first started it. But I'd gone there wanting her to, just really helped me figure out how, what do I do professionally speaking to make to, to like in one session and, and honestly, and this is the realness, how do I make my husband love me? How do I, how do I change to make him love me? That's what I wanted to know those things. So it was all external. Like, you know, how do, how do I keep, how do I keep going? How do I, how do I this? Um, and then I ran away for three months cause she pushed some buttons that disturbed me, but, when I when finally the the scream got so loud, she was one of the first people that I reached out to. So I would not be. I mean, I may have got here eventually, but I am such a strong advocate for coaching. It's unreal because I needed somebody to to support me and to hold space for me enough to unravel myself. And that's all that coaching is, right? You just hold space for us to unravel ourselves. 
And that's the part that for me is so powerful because it's not about you saying, well, what I see is, and give me your, you know, like you're literally holding space for us to go, ah. So you're actually, what you're creating is the platform for us to connect back into our wisdom, that deep, deep wisdom. And and that's why I think, coaching is something that I will always be an advocate for. What made you come into coaching? Were you coached as well? Did you have that kind of experience? Um, what made me step into this was there's three, three main things. Um, I guess I've been doing this for free as part of life for the best part of 20 years. Right. So I've always, um, at the age of probably about um, 15 or so, I, I went through my own experiences and I realised I have the great ability to listen to people and to ask people the right questions. And it wasn't just me trying to get them to say certain things about them trying to find out who they are. And since roughly then, I've kind of just been talking to people, asking the right questions, listening. And throughout my um, career, that's what I've done. That's what's helped me to to get to where I've got to. And it hasn't been based on, I've been. I've worked with like my senior leaders, VPs, directors, but a lot of what I do and what I do right now comes from home. So I, like for example, I started a family at, at 22. So I went into the workplace when all my friends were busy going out to, to get drunk and all that kind of stuff. I had a family to look after. Yeah, well. So the way I approached life has been always completely different. And I've just taken all the lessons I've learned from home and applied them into work. And that's helped me to get to know people, to understand people, to see people. Like you talked about, when I see a spark in someone, I want to see that spark. I find that fan, that fan, that fan in, that fan, that spark into something that's powerful because yeah. I know there's something there, there's that potential there, but it just needs someone to help them to push through, to polish that coal into a diamond, as that as, as the phrase goes. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's something I've always just kind of done naturally. And then a number of years ago, working in different organizations, I've just seen things around culture just wasn't working out, where people were just complaining about being micromanaged, people complaining about not being engaged. There was, had a conversation with my son about, he wanted to come and work where I was at. And I was like, that's not going to work because I'm the only black person there in a space of 300 people. I don't want yeah. you to go through what I've gone through. So I kind of stepped out of that work into like, you know what, I've led teams and my way of looking at life and culture is life, personal life, work life needs to be one. To be Rather one. than trying to separate things, let's bring them all together. That's how I've led teams and managed to lead people just to be the authentic self. Yeah. So if I can each and help guide other leaders and other managers to create that kind of culture and organization where it truly is inclusive, where it's equitable, where it puts the people first, yeah. that kind of world I want to live in and kind of world I want my kids to grow up in Therefore, that's why I decided to step into that, really. So for your son, um, I thought that was really interesting what you've just said there. And I think it's really important, quite, I don't know, an important thing at this particular moment in time to talk about as well. You were talking about his experience. You didn't want his experience there to be the same as yours. So what are some of the things that you've done as a father? Sorry to ask the question to you, but I'm just interested to, to help him as a young black man becoming you know to step into white spaces or help him find his space um you know how how do you support that for him the way I show up for him 
is the same way I show up for anyone, which is as a father, my role is to provide him with opportunities to explore everything that he wants to do. Yeah. So from a very young age, for example, he he was into into drumming. So he got pots and pans and was banging from when he was a baby. And even though when we oh, started out, we were, you know, we were, it really was. But even though we like, started I love when, you, but I love you if you're in this cupboard now doing this. <laughs> but we saw, we saw what that was from a young age. Yeah. And even though we didn't have, like, much money, but I managed to, like, get him like, a drum set and drum lessons. And now he's turning 13, but he literally just done his A-levels for drums a couple of weeks ago. Amazing. It's, um like, showing up, like, I got... I said son and daughter, it's like, okay, he wants to play football, get him, get him involved in that. He wants to be involved in athletics. It's just showing up and providing different things that, you know what, I want you to explore who you are. I'm not going to tell you who I think you need to be. I want you to fan into those gifts and talents that you've been blessed with and try out what works for you, what doesn't. And then when we see the one that you naturally gravitate towards and the one that you do without me having to tell you to do it, then let's work on that. Yeah. And that's all it's done. And that's what we've just been just been focusing on. And exactly the same in the in the workplace. It's okay, you want to grow, you want to develop. Like when I led teams, for example, when you came into my team, the first question I always asked you is, what do you want to be? Not just like within this company, like what are you trying, what are you aspiring to be in work, outside of work? Let's work on that. I literally sat down with my team and I worked on what they were doing in work, what they're doing outside of work. And we worked on both sides of things together. And that made a difference to them because they could grow as individuals, not just in work, but outside. Yeah. And then they came back into the workplace and they were super productive because it was like, I'm coming into a place where this person is looking at me as an individual and wants to see me grow. Yes. And looking into that leads me back into you and your journey from what you've done from um, Shazam to um, where you are right now. How have you finding yourself over that 30 to 40 year period mapped into working in those kind of organizations, those kind of cultures, which are very disruptive, chaotic <laughs> kind of spaces. Yeah. Well, I guess, I guess what it did was, um, you know, it enabled me to come into something that was ultimately a creative space, right? So I think it was almost, it was just a series of fortunate events, right? I, it wasn't, you know, Shazam didn't give me the permission to show up to work as myself. I gave myself the permission to show up to work as myself, right? Um, and people are often will often say to me, wow, Shazam, that must have been an amazing place to work culturally. Everywhere is as good as you want it to be, right? It's, it's, it's what you bring, really. It's what you bring. And so um, what I had done, though, my journey over the last 10 years is, because I'd been, I'd, I'd been essentially in a relationship where I'd been the person providing for that uh, financially for that relationship. So I hadn't ever let myself think about doing anything else. And what I did after I left was I simply just allowed myself a moment to, um, I allowed myself a moment to just say, well, I guess just start connecting with people that I found interesting. That's what I did. And it wasn't calculated. I just did it. Um, and I've always been very naturally inquisitive. And and that was something that I'd always had. But I'd just been applying all of my energy into trying to save something that wasn't savable, right? That um, didn't need saving. It just needed letting go. Um, 
And so I started to sort of gravitate towards creative energies and creative people and people who were freer spirited, which is the way that I was when I was a younger person too. And I found myself quite quickly in the middle of the art world. And, um, you know, within, I fell in love with a particular piece and then I, I very quickly kind of, I don't know, became obsessed. And before I knew it in my spare time, I was, I was helping manage an artist. I was curating a show. I was, you know, I was doing all this sort of stuff, but I was just doing it for love because I felt like I was uh, surrounded by this energy that I hadn't been before. And I was trying to figure out who I was. Right. And so one of those people that I'd met with, they reached out to me about Shazam. Um, and so I hadn't deliberately gone in house. It wasn't like the Holy grail for me, but I was like, okay, let's step into it. Let's do it. But what I will say though, is shortly before that came along, I was speaking to someone who you see these people, people are magic, right? They don't quite realize when they're giving you these little inspirational chats and how significant they might be. But he was basically saying, look, at the moment, you're kind of in the art world, not in the art world. You don't, you're not really clear about what you want, what you don't want. You know, you've been doing recruitment for this long, but you're not committing to it. And, and, and unless you're committing to something, then you're just kind of fluid and people don't really know people aren't going to commit to you unless you're committing to them. So I did actually go, do you know what, then I, I'm, I'm committing. I committed within myself and then Shazam appeared. Right. Um, and then, so I got the role with Shazam. I felt woefully uh, unqualified to do that job, but happily within a short space of time realized that I was phenomenally qualified to do that job because I'd been running businesses for the last 12 years, recruitment businesses, small businesses, but startups. So that startup mindset, that resilience that I'd built set me up for success in, in, a, in a business that was planning to scale quite a lot. Um, and so I went on a journey with Shazam where I really stepped into and overcame a lot of imposter syndrome. Um, and suddenly I saw the the magic that I could create as a human being to do really amazing work that I was proud of. Um, we actually, we sold the business to Apple and I chose to jump out at that point and jump into a role with Onfido, um, which was, it felt like a more expansive step because it was heading up the people function of that organization. So I'd done kind of talent acquisition, which span, which, which also included kind of employee engagement, internal comms, DNI, all that sort of stuff at Shazam, just because I'd been like, oh, and what about this? Let's fix that. Let's fix this and let's fix that. Um, and so, yeah, then I stepped into the role at Onfido again with a lot of imposter syndrome because it was my first executive role, my first time at a leadership table, having conversations that I hadn't been part of before and, you know, feeling stressed by the idea of it, but stepping into it um, and forcing myself to do it. And I put myself through what I like to call a grown-up grad scheme at Onfido, where I, because I am still a woman afflicted with imposter syndrome, studied the CIPD before work, whilst also working a phenomenal amount of time every day to bring my very best. But what I discovered to my delight was that it's it's a leadership role and I I I know how to lead things. So I was actually okay. And so my I had a brilliant team at Onfido who I love tremendously, but I only and I only left because the launch pad opportunity came along. 
And I'd been interested in how we build businesses from the beginning, how we build human beings. Um, and so I saw a real opportunity to step into that with BP, which were a bit of a bit of an unknown at the time. You know, it could have gone either way. Um, but, um, you know, BP, I have to say, it are, are the organization in my career that I have felt most aligned with. And that I'm aligned with them because they operate from a place of solid foundation of love and total integrity across everything. I need to stop you there for a minute. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> because you just described BP in a way that I don't think anyone would. When you think about I know. The BP, the organization, what they do, yeah. and exactly who you are, the fun, joy, loving person, they two don't go hand in hand. So how how did you make that decision to go into that space? And then yeah, as yeah. you're talking about the culture, just expanding the foundation and what you just described, again, does not sound like BP. That's why in my head I was like, no. what? Huh? <laughs> did she just what now? Yeah, so honestly, I, was, I, I wasn't sure, but what I could feel was a really good energy from the people that I met when I stepped in, right? And then I I was a bit, wasn't quite sure, you know, but but what I've learned since November, since being there, uh, you know, uh, what I've learned is that this is who they are. They have a new CEO. And we're, by the way, we're an organization that's um, owned by BP, but we're not part of big BP, Um um, but the CEO of Big BP, Big BP has a bold ambition to get to net zero um, by 2050. And if you want to look for a very visible, very effective, loving leader, have a look at him, Bernard Looney on LinkedIn, right? And and what you see is what I feel, and that is real. So, uh, you know, when COVID hit, the first message that came to everybody was family first, don't, you know, don't worry. Now it is, the business is going through a lot of change and transformation right now. And it's having a difficult time, but it chose not to take government money um, and furlough employees at that time. Um, you know, there, there are changes happening now, but they are being done with so much love and integrity. And my point is exactly that, right? We don't have to be perfect people. We don't have to always get things right. But if we get things wrong, it's how we operate and how we come out of that, that that really matters. How we show up. Do we show up with integrity? Do we show up with love? Do we actually care about getting something right? And from BP, that is what I feel 100%. And a bit like me, I compare them to me, right? I've made some big mistakes in my life, but I've always conducted myself with integrity, even in my darkest moments, even when I was living this kind of other life that I talk about, right? I was always conducting myself with integrity and giving my best. And I think that BP have always given their best, right? And and they have doesn't mean that they haven't made big mistakes, but my goodness, they still hold themselves accountable to those mistakes right now, just like I do to myself right now. Because we have to take responsibility for ourselves in our lives to really evolve. Nobody did my life to me, I did it to me, right? Nobody put me in those situations. I put me in those situations. 
Now, there were obviously other contributing factors that held me in those situations, but the ultimate responsibility comes down to you. And BP as an organization understands that. And and the way that they conduct themselves, like, honestly, I have such a, an incredible admiration and I and a true pride to be affiliated to them. And I say that with my whole yogi heart. <laughs> wow, that sounds like a, a great culture and great environment to, to be in, to operate in, to be able to be your full authentic self. And I guess I'm here thinking, so how do we get other organizations, other leaders to embody that kind of character based on your experience in different organizations from recruitment all the way to now. How do you, what would your advice be for organizations who want to create that culture of being, bring yourself to work? Yeah. So, I mean, really, I don't think as organizations, it's not like, so, so ultimately what I've just been talking about there is responsibility, right? It's each human being's responsibility to drive the experience of their own lives, right? But as an as an organization, it's up to us to make sure that we're giving them the opportunity to do that. So are we creating organizations where people have the opportunity to show up as themselves? Are we creating an inclusive environment where we're making sure that every voice at the table can be heard? Are we making sure that we have every voice at our table, right? Um, and I think so the organization's role is is proactively, proactively to make sure that we create that platform and giving human beings the opportunity to be inspired. So perhaps start to build their toolkit to bring in their journey to self. Um, but ultimately, the journey to self is a, is a it is only you. It's only you that can ever do it. So you have to reach a point in your life where you're like, do you know what? I want something different and I'm going to do it and I'm going to create it this way. So as an organization, um, you know, we have to give you every opportunity to have that inspiration to go on that journey. But ultimately, it's down to you. You're responsible in your life for creating that. Um, but but we're responsible for making sure we show up for you in quality and that we give you the opportunity to bring all of you to us so that we all we all we all benefit. Spend so much time talking to you about so many different things, but <laughs> I'm going to delve into some quick fire questions for you. Um, so you love music. What is your favorite song and why? Oh, goodness me. That's like asking me to pick between my children. Are you crazy? And I don't have to. That's why I went for it. <laughs> I, I, went for I, it. I honestly couldn't say I, I had a favorite song I because I don't. I have songs that I've listened to a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. I actually wrote okay, so a blog post. The top, the top two oh, God. on your playlist? The, well, okay, so the top two that probably have been the most significant. Okay, so one would be I'm Alive by Natty. So Natty is somebody that not that many people listening may know about, but he is, uh, I would describe him as it, it, his music as probably Roots if I had to be specific, but I, I would say that he, he, you know, mixes genres, but he has this, at the time when I was coming through a lot of change, I listened to his music and 
Um, he speaks a lot about, you know, uh, finding the warrior within, right? And that really spoke to me at a time. But this song is basically just feeling the magic of just feeling alive. And that's when I was really stepping into gratitude in my life without sounding like a cliche. Do I do my gratitude every day. I don't, right? Because I'm grateful for every last moment I have. I'm grateful all day, every day. Um, you know, so I, I exist in an attitude of gratitude. I wrote about that once. So I would say that that, that song, it's not, I, I, again, I can't say it. I have a favorite from all time. It means a lot. But that, song was very significant in a moment where it just made me burst into joyfulness and and there are there are I actually did a test at the end of the last decade I did a blog post that had 10 songs that for each year which actually I'm Alive wasn't on there because there were other ones but um so let's go with I'm Alive because if anyone's interested they can look back and go Oh, she like that song was that year. Oh, because I kind of go through my journey of the last 10 years with songs. Oh, I like that. What is what are your three guiding principles or values? Oh gosh. Okay. Well, so I actually did look at what my values were, because I think it's actually quite important that you're aware of what they are um yourself not just um, from a from the perspective of um, how you what want you know how you choose the organization that you want to be a part of but it's also really important as someone that's dating that you are you know you know I, I'm 40 and I'm yet to meet my mate so I'm very clear about what my values are and whether that person, because values alignment, I think really is one of the biggest things when it comes to, a, a, you know, a romantic relationship and the success of it. So, um, you know, I would say um, respect is the re trust and respect, right? So, so, and that, that means being, um, you know, very consistent, you know, because because you can't really yeah, consistency is the thing that drives the the trust, and then the respect comes from the trust. Do you know what I mean? And then it all yeah, it all kind of it's all interwoven together. Um, I believe very much in a connectedness and a oneness between people. So you know, I see myself in the eyes of every human being that I meet, and. Um, you know, I, I very much value my place in the world and I see myself um, very much alongside the, the human beings within it. So that's something that's that's important. That's an important part to me. But the thing that underpins everything for me is love. So it's it's love for, you know, um, it's love for start with the foundation of self, learning how to do that and then shining your love out into the world around you and be, not being afraid to show up in love and not being afraid to talk about love. And that's why I was actually really surprised that BP hired me to do to take on the Launchpad role. I was really surprised because I thought, wow, we must be so different. We're not so different. I just, you know, I'm a, I'm a, uh, you know, I'm a modern day hippie that talks about love and talks about energy and, you know, and I've slotted right in to that organization with my effervescent self. So, so yeah, I think love has to be 
um, has to be one of my, it, it is my driving energy. It is, it, it is everything. Two more questions. Um, since you've, you've talked about a little bit about it, I would like to know what is your purpose? Oh, my purpose, my purpose really is, I wrote about this quite recently too. Um, my purpose is very similar in the loving thing, right? So, um, my purpose when it comes to professionally speaking, it's essentially, I see this incredible journey that I've been on in my life and how I've been able to tap into this uh, joyful experience where I'm walking in alignment with myself. And my purpose is to create the space for other human beings to do that. And I do that by writing my blog. I do that by recording my pod where we're talking about how people have maybe walked in that path, but I do that at work by in each and every day, in each and every way, seeing how I might be able to bring that energy or just poke poke at people in their cages slightly and see whether they want to come out and see whether they want to, whether they want to step into a more expansive way of being. Um, and I'm not prescriptive. I'm just there to hold up a mirror. If people want to look into it, then you know, then, then I would love them to do that. And I'd love, I, so I love nothing more, nothing more than seeing people step into their fire to seeing people really, really own who they are and become unapologetic about who that person is. And the last one, what's the biggest life lesson you've learned? Oh, that's quite easy except not easy all at the same time. It's, um, <laughs> it's, it's to be yourself. It's to be yourself, you know. Uh, you know, man, we tie ourselves up into knots trying to be what we think the world wants us to be. They actually don't. They only ever really wanted us to be who we are. Um, so, um, yeah, find the way. Find the way back to you. Find the way back to you and be yourself and be proud of who that person is and know that there's nothing from the outside that's ever going to make you any better than what you already were born with. You already have all the wisdom that you need. You can read books and learn things from an intellectual level. Sure, no problem. But that deep wisdom, that deep, deep sense of you, that's already there. That's already there, and uh, and you just have to find your way back to it. And on that, I'm just going to say thank you. Thank you for the blogs that you keep on putting out, which are brilliant, for your podcast, which is absolutely awesome. It's going to be in the show notes, so you guys make sure that you check it out. And just thank you for being you and just showing up for who you are, because I think the more we can, as people, be just real, authentic, let our guards down, just be vulnerable and open with each other, the more we grow, the more we're learning about each other and the more we get to create that kind of world that we are looking for, where we are all equal and where we all respect and love and care for one another. So thank you for today. It's been absolutely yeah. powerful. We could have gone on for time, like I said, but I was like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Honestly, I'm so honoured to be invited to speak with you. And although we don't know each other that well, we're new friends, but I, I'm so delighted that, that we became connected and long may our friendship continue because I... I find you so inspiring right back. Thanks very much, Ruth. This is Everyday Leadership. Thank you. 
don't forget I have show notes on my website everydayleadership.buzzsprout.com so check that out and if you've enjoyed today's episode make sure you subscribe and tell someone else appreciate your support I'll see you next time this is Everyday Leadership <laughs>